Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our first scripture passage this morning comes from Matthew 4, 3 through 7. Listen for what God is saying. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again it's written, Don't test the Lord your God. Our second passage this morning comes from 2 Timothy 3, 10-17. Listen again for what God is saying. But you have paid attention to my teaching, conduct, purpose, faithfulness, patience, love, and endurance. You have seen me experience physical abuse and ordeals in places such as Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. I put up with all sorts of abuse, and the Lord rescued me from it all. In fact, anyone who wants to live a holy life in Christ Jesus will be harassed. But evil people and swindlers will grow even worse as they deceive others while being deceived themselves. But you must continue with the things you have learned and found convincing. You know who taught you. Since childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures that help you to be wise in a way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. May God add a blessing to the understanding and living out of the scripture. Amen. Good morning again. Um, it is so good, you know, to see people that I haven't seen for so long, people like uh, certainly Sophia and Rachel, uh, but Antonio, uh, Marvin, who many of you uh, knew uh, ran away to join the Army, the Navy, um, uh, last uh, fall, and um, yeah, and all of you. So um, please come, uh, please join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to come together, even if it is an hour early, um, to hear what you have to say to us, uh, maybe have our imaginations expanded today as we look at your word and ponder what what it means to, to, be, to have this legacy of language um, in our faith. Uh, we ask that your spirit would be present within us, moving around us and in our hearts to help us understand just a little bit more about how you speak to us so that we can listen um, with greater clarity. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So some of you know... Um, after I finished college, I spent a year teaching English in Thailand um, through volunteer program. And um, while I was there, every once in a while, I would hear a teacher say something about the difference between um, kind of older teachers, teachers who had been trained a long time ago versus kind of the more newly trained teachers. Like there was some kind of significant difference in that training. 
And after hearing about this a few times, um, I asked one of the teachers, like, what, what was up with that? Like, what was going on? Um, and she explained to me that in the late 90s, uh, there was a severe financial crisis that had started in Thailand and rippled out um, throughout Asia. And as the crisis emerged and unfolded, it became clear that there was something that the economists had been missing in their training. They knew how the system worked, and so they knew the kind of the nuts and bolts of how to kind of keep the economy going, um, how to solve routine problems or make tweaks. But what they didn't know, what they didn't have as much training or experience in, was how to creatively solve problems. They lacked the ability to look at a problem in new ways, from different angles, and imagine creative approaches to problems that couldn't be solved through traditional approaches. And so as the economy started to fracture, they tried patch after patch, but nothing was alleviating the problem. They saw a ripple become a wave, which became a tsunami that ended up washing over and destabilizing the entire Asian economy. And so as economists dissected the events, one of the realizations was that throughout their formative and sometimes higher education, most of the Thai economists had been trained in the traditional Thai approach to education, which was based on rote learning. Rote learning is basically learning by memorization. I think probably the most common experience that most people have, although not the younger people today I know, um, is memorizing your times tables. Um, rote memorization. Instead of understanding a problem, which I understand is what mathematicians, teachers are trying to do today, I still don't understand, but um, they, instead of, instead of uh, understanding the problem, they, they simply memorized answers, which works until a problem that has never been answered comes along, right? And they don't know what to do other than to kind of throw the answers that they've already memorized at it. Now, I'm sure that it's a much more complex situation than that. Rebecca could probably explain, since she's an economist, or resident economist. Uh, but the main reason I thought of it, in light of our passage for today, is that one thing, it's one thing to memorize Scripture, and it's another thing to understand its purpose. So if you were here last week, uh, you'd know that we started this uh, new sermon series for the season of Lent. Um, on wilderness, going to the places where the wild things are rather than allowing the wild things to come to us, you know. Um, so as we reflect on Jesus' journey of 40 days through the wilderness, we're taking some time to not only consider our own wilderness experiences, but also the kind of resources we carry with us and within us to help us make it through. And so as we journey with Jesus, we'll take a look at some of those passages alongside that can maybe help us deepen our understanding of what, what those resources might be. Well, today we're looking at uh, the number one spiritual survival guide in the Christian um, tradition, the guidebook that helps us do some wayfinding as we navigate our faith in challenging times, the Bible. And the Bible can be frustratingly silent when it comes to many of our modern day life questions, right? Should I go with Tinder or Coffee Meets Bagel? Uber or Lyft? PayPal or Venmo? And let's be honest, most of us uh, in this room, have maybe even treated the Bible like a magic eight ball, asking, question, asking a question, opening it up, and then letting your finger fall to a random verse, which could get dicey if you're, say, fed up uh, as a parent and you ask God, uh, what should I do with my kids? And then you get uh, Psalm 137, 9, happy shall they be who, who take their little ones and dash them against the rocks. Um, so it doesn't always work out the way that you would like, right? Or maybe the way you would, but you shouldn't, right? Um, because, of course, the Bible is not a magic eight ball, and it's not intended to answer each and every question you have in your life with clear and direct language. 
Um, it is, however, intended to train your mind in the ways of God's intentions. The way that Paul puts it in this second letter to a young disciple named Timothy is, every scripture is inspired by God so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. So at this point, I think it's helpful um, to give a little more insight about what the scripture situation, like when, when Paul talks about scripture, what, what this situation was when he was writing, when Paul was writing this letter. So at the time of writing, there was no Bible. All of the writings that make up what we would call the New Testament were kind of basically floating around the Roman Empire and in various letters or scrolls um, getting read and copied and passed on to new Christian churches um, so that more people could sort of absorb this new information about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, there were a lot more writings than the ones that make up what we know now today as the New Testament, and there hadn't been really any kind of official decisions about how one writing was more valid than the other. In fact, a lot of what became the New Testament, at least in the first cut, um, were simply those writings that most communities agreed upon as important and kind of holding some sort of truth about how God was at work um, through Jesus um, and how, how uh, yeah, about Jesus's ministry on earth. So, and, and even um, the Hebrew Bible, which had been around a lot longer, um, hadn't been bound into one book yet. Instead, it was kind of more like different collections. So there was the Torah, the first five books of, of or the law, sorry, the Torah, which is the law, like the, um, the legal writings. There was the um, Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. There were the poetry, there was the poetry, and there were the prophets. And so they all kind of existed in these like separate collections or scrolls that were held by temples. So when... When he says that every scripture is inspired by God, Paul isn't talking so much about how God wrote everything word for word, um, and it was all bound into one book. What he's talking more about is how the writings in those early communities um, that were read kind of carried some sort of revelation about who God was and how God was speaking to them. feels a little bit, um, if this is the first time hearing it, uh, I, it can feel a little bit dicey um, to... I'm, try, I'm not trying to mess with your Bible here, but, but this is the history of the Bible. Um, so for Paul, being familiar with Scripture was only one piece of the puzzle, kind of recognizing that things get lost in translation. Not everyone read all the same things, right? Um, and so for him, what he's trying to communicate to Timothy is understanding its essence, the arc of Scripture, its purpose, and its driving value is really the kind of the main thing. It's not about memorizing Bible verses, although there's nothing wrong with memorizing Bible verses. Um, but it's not about rote memorization, right? It's about a deeper understanding. Having a deeper familiarity with Scripture allows us to, to be more artistic with it, right? To kind of to, to know the spirit and intention of how it helps us to do good works. So what are the good works that Scripture is pointing us to? Well, we see it in the wilderness passage for today. The devil, which is another way of saying an accusing angel, comes to Jesus when he is physically weak and hungry and says, go on, turn those stones into, into bread. And Jesus' response, I think, some, can feel a little bit like weirdly dramatic um, at face value. It's, it is written. People live on, won't live only by bread, but by every word that is spoken by God. Um, but... 
If you look at the passage in Deuteronomy that, he, that Jesus is referencing, you'll understand a little bit more. So this is the passage that he's referencing. Um, God humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you the manna that neither you nor your ancestors had ever experienced so that he could teach you that people don't live on bread alone. No, they live based on whatever the Lord says. So this is about his people. Jesus' ancestors. This was written during a time of um, liberation and escape from the uh, Egyptian um, government. So this is, this is about Jesus tapping into this legacy of his people who had escaped circumstances of forced labor because of God's care. When he refers to this passage, Jesus is, is tapping into that. And because of this legacy, Jesus knows that life is not just about a full belly. Jesus knows that life is about a liberated body, and an emancipated spirit. I could get my fill, but what does it mean if I'm not alive and free? This is what scripture is purposed toward, a liberated body and an emancipated spirit, wholeness of life for all. But the devil isn't done with him yet, right? Seeing that the scripture uh, is what Jesus's kind of preferred mechanism um, for engagement is, uh, they try a different tact. Uh, why don't you throw yourself down on this, off this cliff? Since after all, Scripture says, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit a foot on a stone. Hit your foot on a stone. And the devil is right. Scripture does say that in Psalm 91. But here's the nuance. That's what Scripture says. But again, that's not the point. When we look at Psalm 91, when we read the verses that are being referenced, because He will order His messengers to help you to protect you wherever you go. They will carry you with their own hands so you don't bruise your foot on a stone. What we see is that this is about comforting people in times of risk and fear. That it's about courage building. It's a statement of reassurance. You can do this. I'll be right there with you. It's not a trust fund for you to exploit. If Jesus was someone who only memorized scripture, he might have been stumped, right? Mm, it does say that. <laughs> But he doesn't just have scripture memorized. He knew it and it, he knew its deepest purpose. Jesus knew it so deeply, it was so intertwined with who he was, that the Gospel of John says that Jesus was the Word made flesh. Jesus could see the ways that the devil had abused the scripture to try to get him to do something that would betray his integrity and his very identity. Have you ever known someone who used scripture in abusive ways? Josh Lee, one of our church planning interns, um, who will be here next week, actually, he recently shared um, at our staff meeting about how he had always been taught to use scripture as a corrective, as a way to rebuke people and to get people to fall in line. And when he came to terms with his identity as a gay man and came out, he experienced firsthand what it was like to be on the receiving end of this. Instead of being helpful or constructive, which was what he thought he was the spirit that he thought he was coming from. He experienced a kind of uh, weaponization of scripture. He was not lovingly corrected. He felt bludgeoned and rejected. And yeah, if it stopped at a rote, memorized understanding of scripture, it would be easy for Josh to assume that all the words that were being thrown at him were very sad, a very sad and tragic truth about who he was, and too bad, so sad for people like him. But there was something in him that knew that just couldn't be true. Josh had heard about Urban Village, and he knew that there was at least one church out there that loved Jesus and also loved gay people. 
God bless them, Josh applied for every possible open position that we had. <laughs> Children's ministry coordinator, church planning resident, church planning intern, all of them. Since, and since being at UVC in the capacity of a church planting intern, he has learned that ministry is just as messy as the Kentucky church he pastored at before coming out. And maybe even more so when you're working with a pretty diverse church like ours. But he's also seeing people whose lives are reflecting God's intentions, liberated bodies and emancipated spirits. Wholeness of life. There's a poet named Rupi Kaur who said, a Canadian poet, Indian, Canadian Indian, Indian Canadian um, poet, uh, who said, our backs tell stories that no books have the spine to carry. Our backs tell stories that no books have the spine to carry. In his letter to Timothy, Paul points out that it's not just the written word that speaks God's truth. Paul says, look at my life. You've seen me. I've got receipts on my back and in just about every major city across the Roman Empire. There's a warrant out for my arrest everywhere. But Timothy doesn't even have to look as far as Paul. He can stay home and consider those women who loved him into being, who showed Timothy the creative and tenacious ways that God's truth could be embodied. Paul reminds Timothy, you know who taught you. Since childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures to be helpful and wise, to help you be wise. Who taught him this? Who were those people? Well, you see it earlier in the letter, in chapter 1. The most formative people in Timothy's faith life were his mother and his grandmother. Women who showed him what authentic faith looked like. Women who helped him cultivate a gift for laying on of hands. People whose lives were perhaps the most powerful translation of scripture he ever read. Who in your life has been the best translation of scripture you've ever read? Take a moment to think about this person. Who has been the best translation of scripture you've ever read? Let's speak those names into the space. Brenda. Didn't take long for these names to come up. I'd be willing to bet that for many of you, the person who comes to mind is not someone who's perfect or even perfectly faithful, but more likely they somehow managed to make it through their wilderness seasons or even their wilderness life with a kind of tenacity of faith that showed that they were part of, could tap into, like Jesus, a, a bigger thing, a longer legacy of people who had made it through. The purpose of Scripture is liberation of body and emancipation of mind so that we can multiply that liberation out, doing good works. This is not about memorized words, data. It's about being like Jesus, to have reflected on it in your mind, to have witnessed it in the lives of other people, to let it take root in your soul, to be so grounded in its purpose that you know how to respond to people that weaponize Scripture. And don't we need that today? This. This is how you make it through the wilderness. This is how the Bible goes from being your magic eight ball or your checklist of do's and don'ts to becoming your survival guide. There's a saying that I like to think about, um, be careful how you live your life. You might be the only Bible someone reads. And here's the strange math of making it through the wilderness. 
When you seek to be faithful, even in seasons of wilderness, not only are you making it through for yourself, but just as evidenced by these names that were spoken into this space, you're telling a story about who God is and how God is to the people around you. So I ask you, how is your survival guide showing up in your life? What is the story that your spine carries as you make it through the many wildernesses of life? And who, all along the way, who will read it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for those folks who have, if not perfectly, at least faithfully, have borne witness to your written word in their flesh and blood. We thank you for the intimidating and yet awesome responsibility of doing the same for those around us. Help us to be people who are not afraid of your word, who are not afraid of scripture. Help us to be people who don't discount its power or relegate it to magic eight ball status. Help us to be people who seriously consider it, what it can do in our lives, allow it to transform us in ways that liberate our bodies and emancipate our spirits. And as we do that, God, help us to be models for others, that they don't have to be afraid to stay just in the little boxes that they've created for themselves, but that your scripture is a palette for us to paint new expressions of liberation of body and emancipation of mind, and wholeness of life for all. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus who showed us first how to do it and how to do it best. Amen.